and welcome back to the Money Bear Podcast. I am your host, Chloe Daniels, better known as Clover Money Coach on the internet. And today's a quick tip episode where I give you guys a quick money tip that you can start implementing immediately. And today we are going to talk about the financial order of operations, aka how much cash should I have on hand? How much should I be investing? In what order do I start investing and all that good stuff? But first, I usually give you guys a quick little life update before we dive into the money tip for the week. And I'm not going to lie, not that much interesting things have been going on in my life. That was not grammatically correct, but I will say I have been really tired. I do think that every time we change seasons, my body just kind of is like, what's happening? And with daylight savings, it's like, I'm just tired, you know what I'm saying? So (laughs) I am a little less stressed though. I'm getting really ready to launch this product that I've been working on for months and I'm really excited to get it out the door and moving. So that's a bit of relief. I don't think we'll be clear like full in the clear until probably midsummer. Not like midsummer the movie, but like midsummer, like June. <laughs> but by then, June, July, I think things will start calming down. And then I'll probably start working on something else, like an ebook or who knows, or maybe I'll just enjoy the summer before we dive into a digital product. So that's kind of a relief that things have been getting a little chiller. Having my new content assistant and SEO assistant on the team has really been amazing. And I'm really thankful to have some ladies who are just amazing to work with and making my life a little bit easier. So yeah, things are looking up. And like you guys know how tired I was both in February and honestly for most of March. So Hopefully, you'll get a little bit more lively Chloe happening here in the near future. And I also think just like the slowdown of not having as much travel, my next trip is next week. I'm going to Mexico for my brother's wedding, my first sibling to get married. So my younger brother, Max, who is he 30 now? I think he is. Yeah, I think he's 30 or he's turning 30. Wow, see guys, I'm just going to keep yawning. But he's turning 30 this year, I believe. And he and his fiance have been my roommates since I've been home since October. And I love them both immensely. And I actually get to officiate their wedding. Isn't that so cool? So I'll be officiating their wedding. I'm really excited about that. I'm honored to even be asked. And I am just looking forward to spending a week in Mexico with my family and my boyfriend. And I haven't seen my sister since Christmas. So it'll be nice to see her. And yeah, I'm just really excited. So that's coming up next week. Or I guess at the end of this week, we leave. And I haven't been on like... (sighs) there's another yawn. I haven't been on like a vacation vacation where it's like the only amount of working I plan on doing is like posting in emails. Like, and when I say emails, like, like newsletter emails and that's pretty much it. Like that's all I plan on doing is one email next week and one newsletter next week and posting on the regular schedule And that's it. And then I'm just going to like enjoy my time on the beach. Uh, And this will be one of my first sober vacations too. So like vacation, because like I've done little trips, like a weekend to see my friend in San Francisco. I've done, you know, a trip to take my mom to San Diego, where I was pretty much working the whole time during that as well. And, you know, I've done the weekend with my dad down in Fort Lauderdale, 
for the Cardinals game, but I haven't had like an extended trip where like we're really just going to be sitting around a pool or the beach drinking all day. And so I will be getting my virgin drinks. I am actually kind of excited because I've always thought like going on, you know, the all-inclusive vacations and things. I'm always like, wouldn't it be nice to just come home feeling good from one of those instead of just like feeling like you're like hungover for a week. (laughs) So I'm excited to kind of test out my new sober legs and see how that goes. And also to marry my siblings, not marry them, but you know, officiate their wedding and marry my brother to his fiance. (laughs) You guys know what I mean. So anyway, let's get to the quick tip. My quick tip this week is talking about the financial order of operations and really understanding what order makes the most sense for you. Should you be prioritizing maxing out your Roth IRA first or should you prioritize maxing out your 401k first? And what I will say is this is general blanket advice. Everybody's situation is going to be different, but it's nice to have a little bit of a guideline to understand what you may want to consider and what you may want to look into. So we're going to kind of talk through that. Now, the very first thing we want to do when we are looking at our finances, so step number one on the financial order of operations, is we want to make sure we're getting any employer matches that are available to us. Now, when I'm talking about an employer match, I'm talking about like the 401k matching program or the 403b matching program that your employer offers you as an incentive for you contributing to your 401k. So they may say, we'll match 3% of your salary, you know dollar for dollar, as long as you're putting 3% of your salary into your 401k. They may do something like we'll match 50% up to 6% or something along those lines. But whatever the match is that they're giving to you, remember that is a 100% return on your investment or a 50% return on your investment, depending on how they're structured. You want to get that. There is no other time in life where we get a 100% return on our money that is guaranteed and risk-free. So get that employer match, no ifs, ands, or buts, you want to be able to benefit from free money. So that's step number one. Step number two is I want you to have a three to six month emergency fund. Now, it does not mean that you should stop all investing in order to get that three to six month emergency fund, but this should be a higher priority. So let's say you have $300 a month to dedicate to your financial goals. Maybe 200 of that goes to your emergency fund goal and maybe 100 of it goes into investing. So it's kind of just shifting the numbers around based off of your priorities. But the reason I emphasize the emergency fund pretty much above everything else other than the employer match is that shit happens all the time, guys, all the time. And like, imagine the last time you were stressed about a flat tire or some medical expense or something that just you weren't really planning on. Wouldn't it be nice to not stress about that anymore? Wouldn't it be nice to know that if something happened to your car, you wouldn't have to go into credit card debt? Wouldn't it be nice to know that you're covered if you lost your job for three to six months, you know? And the peace of mind it gives you, I just think is priceless And it allows us to make better decisions. And it also makes us just a lot more confident knowing that we have emergency fund dollars saved. The general rule of thumb is that you want to have three months of your emergency expenses saved if you are a two-income household. And that bumps up to six months of emergency savings if you have one-income household. So that 
will range person to person. Some people may be a little bit more conservative and prefer having closer to a nine-month emergency fund. As a self-employed person, I tend to have between six months to a year. So you've really got to understand your risk preference. I don't think in most scenarios, most people don't need a one-year emergency fund or a two-year emergency fund unless they're like at retirement age. But making sure that we've got at least three months saved and at most a year to just kind of, you know, prepare for any kind of income loss or to make sure that even if we faced some terrible big expense that came our way, it wouldn't completely derail us financially. So that is a big important one. Right now I'm hovering around nine month emergency fund. It's kind of one of those things where with my emergency fund, it serves two purposes. So it is there in case I ever lose income, but the likelihood that I'll ever lose 100% of my income as a self-employed person with multiple streams of income is probably pretty slim. It's more likely that I'll have a few bad months or may need to dip into it for that. So when I look at it from the perspective of it's like the buffer for when I have a few bad months or whatever, it's easily at least a year emergency emergency fund. But when I look at it as if I was making zero dollars and I wanted to keep everything operational from now until X date, we'd probably be closer to like a three to six month emergency fund. And if it was like, okay, these are the emergency expenses, which keep in mind that three to six months, it's supposed to be your emergency expenses. So if you weren't making a dollar, what would you actually be spending on? You probably wouldn't be spending buku bucks on clothing or eating out or things like that while you're cutting down to make sure you're safe in the interim where you're not bringing in an income. So that's why I'm like hesitant to say what my actual emergency fund is just because like I've got over, let's see, my emergency fund right now is about $50,000. And then on top of that, I also have a separate savings for taxes. And then I also am saving for a down payment. I was originally aiming for a $60,000 emergency fund, but I realized that's really not necessary because I am moving to Arizona instead of San Diego now. And if anything were to happen, I could technically remove funds from the home deposit fund. And I just feel a little bit more comfortable investing some of that money in the market instead. So I feel comfortable with mine is at, but you've got to decide what are you comfortable with. So figure out those emergency expenses, multiply it by between three and six, and then you got your first emergency fund goal. Now, if you've got that, let's move on to step number three. Step number three is I think most people are probably going to prioritize maxing something like a Roth IRA or even a traditional IRA out before they move on to maxing out something like their 401k. Now, the reason I like to bring up the Roth 401 or the Roth IRA specifically is because it's the one that everyone's excited about. It's the account that gives you tax-free growth. It's the account that you get to essentially decide you know, when to take that money out because you can take your contributions out at any time. And that tax-free growth is really nice. So you put that $6,000 in, it grows to $10,000. You just made four grand completely tax-free. That's a really nice perk. And while you can see a similar perk to that in a Roth 401k, the ability to access the money in a Roth IRA and choose your own investments, choose your own brokerage, decide where that Roth IRA lives is pretty 
pretty much a good deal. I mean, it is a good deal. So if you qualify for a Roth IRA, if you are, you know, under the income limits and you're able to contribute directly to a Roth IRA, I think most of the time people prioritize that one. But the traditional IRA can still be a great tool to defer your tax bill, uh, where you still get that flexibility of putting your money in and choosing where it goes and picking whatever investments you want. But instead of paying or being completely tax free growth, you're looking at tax deferred growth. So that $6,000 that you put in that you already paid taxes on and you earn $4,000, well, you don't have to pay taxes on it right now, but you will have to pay taxes on it in the future. So that is the traditional IRA. So that is step number three is look at maxing one of those out. You cannot max out a Roth IRA and a traditional IRA. The limit is $6,500 if you are under the age of 50. And that's again, for a Roth or a traditional, it's not and you can't do each. And then I believe you can do another $1,000 for catch up contribution. I always forget with the catch up contribution, if it's a 1000 or if it's 1500 catch up contribution, let me just Google check myself. Yes, it's an extra $1,000. So that is the IRAs. Now, moving on to step number, I think we're at four. Once you max out your IRA and you've already got your emergency funded and you're already getting your employer match, the next step to look at or consider is a 401k maximum. So maxing that out. Now the 401k, you can put a lot of money into a 401k. In 2023, you can put up to $22,500. And if you are 50 years old or older for your 401k, you can also put in an additional $7,500, which means that you got a lot of room to put into that 401k up $30,000 on the employee side. But if you're under the age of 50, again, that's $22,500 in 2023. Now, I will say that the 401k contribution slash maxing it out is going to depend on a few variables. You may want to consider doing the 401k if you have good investment options, if you're not paying a lot of fees, if you are happy with the choices that you can make, and if you're not trying to access your money early or you're willing to do something like a Roth conversion ladder later on. Sometimes using a traditional 401k can significantly lower our tax bill. Think about it this way. If you put in, if you make a hundred grand a year and you put $20,000 into your 401k, that's going to save you on your tax bill in the year you contribute. So instead of paying taxes on a hundred thousand dollars, you're looking at only paying taxes on $80,000 if we put $20,000 in. So that can result into some significant tax savings, but those tax savings are not going to be as big of appeal if you see that you're paying a 1.5% fee and that you've got load fees and you have terrible investment options. So you definitely want to check out what options are available to you, do some calculations to see, okay, does it make sense for me from a tax savings perspective, or does it make more sense for me to go ahead and throw this money into a taxable brokerage? I think most of the time the tax savings do work out in your favor. The key though, is once you leave the company, rolling that 401k into a lower cost traditional IRA where you can pick your own investments and pay less in fees is usually the better option. So that's kind of like the asterisk around the 401k. Now, granted, you can also have Roth 401ks and then your money grows tax 
free for the rest of your life. Other than the employer match, the employer match will still go into the traditional side of things. But that's also a nice added perk, especially if you're a high income earner and you can't contribute directly to a Roth IRA. You got to go the backdoor route or you got to use the Roth 401k. That still gives you a bucket of money that's going to grow completely tax-free which is nice. We like that. So there are a lot of benefits to the 401k. You just want to make sure that you're not paying a ridiculous amount of fees because we know that fees will eat away at the the value of your portfolio. So the next step on the financial order of operations, once you have got your emergency fund, you're getting your employer match, you are maxing out an IRA, you are maxing out a 401k, your next option is a taxable brokerage account. So the taxable brokerage account is an account that anybody can answer or open. You can put money in at any time. You can take money out at any time. You get to choose what brokerage you use. And when I say brokerage, I'm referring to like a Fidelity, a Vanguard, even a Robinhood, even though I don't support Robinhood. But this is like the thing that has the most easy. It's the most easy to access. It's the most easy to control. You don't get a lot of tax savings from a taxable brokerage, but you get ultimate flexibility. So often the reason that we organize our financial order of operations in the way that we do is because we're trying to get as much tax savings as we can. But some folks don't really care about the tax savings as much as they care about flexibility. And that's when a taxable brokerage account may supersede something like a 401k, especially if in a 401k, you're like, I have terrible investment options here. Plus I need easier access to my money then that's when you can really look at, okay, maybe a taxable brokerage is the next best thing, either before the 401k or a mix in addition to the 401k without maxing it out. The taxable brokerage for me is also just a really good option if you have already maxed those other things out and you still have more money to invest. Again, or I guess I haven't said this yet on this show, but that's a good problem to have. If you have already put so much money away, over $30,000, over thirty six. Or let's see, how much is that? Or almost $30,000 into your investments if you're under the age of 50 and you still have more money every single year to invest, that is a good problem to have. And that's where that taxable brokerage can come in handy. So it gives you that ultimate flexibility in order to invest as much as you want in whatever you want, how often you want, and to take that money out at any time. So that's kind of the order in the nutshell. We did leave out some complicated things like an HSA. An HSA, the reason I don't always include it in a financial order of operations is because not everybody has access to an HSA and not everybody is willing to have a high deductible plan in order to access an HSA. So keep in mind, an HSA is just a health savings account, a health savings account that kind of works as a hybrid between a debit card and or a brokerage. So you can use the money in the HSA to pay for medical expenses. You can also use the money in the HSA like I do, which is I just invest that money and I treat it like another investment account for retirement. The cool thing about an HSA is it's triple tax savings. So you can put the money in without paying taxes on it. That money grows without you having to pay taxes on it. And then you got to take that money out without ever having to pay taxes on it. So that's pretty cool as long as you use it correctly. So there's a hack. We can do a whole episode on that. Sometimes like if we're talking about putting it within the order of operations, I would put that at the same level as like a Roth IRA just because of the flexibility involved in an HSA because you get that triple tax savings. But again, it's that asterisk of 
you have to have a high deductible health plan that qualifies you for an HSA. So if you're not sure, you're like, I know I have a high deductible health plan, but I don't know if it qualifies me for an HSA or not. Check, make sure before you go and open an HSA that it does actually qualify. Because I personally, I have a high deductible health plan, but it does not qualify for an HSA. And I don't remember why. It's, I think it's because the deductible is literally so high. <laughs> but it's just, they never make it as simple as we would like it to be, right? So, all right, again, that financial order of reparations, just before I let you guys go, is number one, get your employer match. Number two, make sure you've got your emergency fund. Number three, contribute to a Roth IRA and max it out if you can. And if you don't contribute to a Roth IRA, your other option is a traditional IRA and or an HSA. Number four, Look into maxing out your employer-sponsored program, whether that's a 457, a TSP, 403B, or most commonly a 401k. And then number five, look at using a taxable brokerage account to stock away even more money. That's like, it's the golden ticket, my friends. So I hope this was helpful. If you have questions, you know where to find me on the internet. And I'll see y'all next week. Bye-bye. so much for listening to the money bear podcast if you've made it this far do us a favor take two seconds rate review and subscribe it seriously means the world to me and if you just take a sec to do that i will appreciate you endlessly and if you do let me know on instagram and i'll thank you personally so got that and of course since we were talking about anything financial on this show, please note that nothing on this show is intended as financial advice. I don't know you, unfortunately. And because of that, I cannot tell you what to do with your money. You got to work with a financial professional who knows your situation, who is preferably a fiduciary. And keep in mind that everything that we talk about on this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It's all my opinion. So there's that. If you want to see our full terms and conditions, head on over to the show notes. And while you're there, we've got free resources for you to get started on your money journey down in the show notes as well, including a free guide to help you with your budgeting templates and budgeting tutorials and investing 101, understanding the different accounts that are out there. All that good stuff is inside of my free guide, which is also available at thelazyinvestorscourse.com slash guide. And if you're ready to take our relationship to the next level, I am also hosting a monthly investing class. And that investing class, you can find the times we're offering it this month at thelazyinvestorscourse.com slash webinar. That link is in the show notes as well. And that's where you have the chance to meet me live and ask those money questions live. It's a good time. We've had over 20,000 people as of recording this join or register. And yeah, it's always nice to meet you guys. So I hope to see you there again. All that is available down in the show notes. So thank you again for coming and listening. I appreciate you and I'll see you next week.